Want to make a podcast? Spotify has got a platform that lets you make one super easily and distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else your podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I've discovered Spotify for podcasters, I just enjoy putting these podcasts out for everyone to really like. I highly recommend you give it a try. It's so easy to use. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started today. It's 49ers Cutback Podcast time. What is up, everyone? Welcome to the show. We're going to have a really good one today because we're going to be talking about rookie minicamp. I'm really excited about the potential of some of these players, and it's going to be fun. And and what is up, Paul? And Alex also in the chat uh, stopping by real quick. What's up, Alex? How's it going? Um, I'm, I'm really excited about some of these players, and this is going to be a fun conversation to have. Uh, thanks for everyone that comes through, including uh, Travis Cooper. Thank you so much. Um, for what you're doing. We really appreciate you so much. And this is going to be a fun conversation. And I'm I'm really excited to get into this. I'm really excited to talk about some of these players. And and before we can really get into all of it, we did have the 49ers have someone come in for a workout and then go ahead and sign that person. Um, everyone had been talking about Calvin Turner, the receiver slash running back option. That is not the player the 49ers, in fact, signed. But they bring in uh, Troy Fugamilli, uh, I know I'm murdering his name. Fumagilli is probably the way you say it better to a one-year deal. He's a tight end, uh, a big guy who's been in the league for a couple of years, including spending time with Denver. And what is up, P. Murr? How's it going? Uh, and to make room for him, the 49ers uh, cut tight end uh, Garrett Wilson. So Garrett Wilson is going to be gone. He's he's no longer a part of the San Francisco 49ers, so they went ahead and made that move. So already going ahead and moving people around and the tight end position is something to keep an eye on uh, throughout the offseason because potentially the 49ers are looking, you know, at the depth in those areas and which players they want to have, you know, playing those certain spots. So this is going to be something to watch. And that was the first move. The 49ers continue to make moves. And that was the first one. And um, I think one of the things to talk about is what rookie minicamp really is. And rookie minicamp, of course, you know, the introduction of these new players, these undrafted free agents to the 49ers, you know, facility to the 49ers staff and, and what they're going to be expected to do. And then also them learning exactly 
what is expected of them. So that when they get to minicamp and all the players are there, they have a full understanding of what their expectations are and they can go ahead and, you know, fit in already. You're not having to take the extra time with these guys. They kind of know the lay of the land, what is expected of them as they got to meet, you know, with their position coaches. So I'm, I'm really excited about this. I know that you can't put too much stock into what happens at rookie minicamp, but you can learn some of the things and some of the things you can learn, uh, you, you learn from what not only what happens on the field and the reports that come you know, from some of the people that were there, including David Lombardi, um, he, he had a lot of good takes on this. I even read what Grant Cohn had to say. I wanted to make sure that it was it was fair and that I got every you know perspective and aspect on this, including watching film myself of the practices. But when it comes to rookie minicamp, you just can't let it you know weigh on you as far as like giving putting too much stock in what happens. You're looking at a little a little things here or there. Um, so that, that's kind of how it goes. And and what is up, Teddy? Uh, the channel is about the San Francisco 49ers. That, that's what we're about. Um, and that's what we're going to be talking about. And today we're talking about the 49ers rookie minicamp. And one of the things that was interesting about rookie minicamp, and I don't want to go too far into the players until we talk about this, is the fact that former defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers and former Denver Broncos head coach Vic Fangio was on the sidelines and he was watching practice. The reports coming out is that he lives in Florida, but when he's out here on the West Coast, he's going to be stopping by and watching practice of the San Francisco 49ers, furthering the rumors and reports that potentially um, he, he could be coming to the, you know, coming to the San Francisco 49ers if D'Amico Ryans uh, is the player that goes. So I think that this is something that we're going to continue to watch. We're going to continue to hear more and more about Vic Fangio because we know John Lynch had discussed with him the potential of him becoming you know, an observer, a, a helper. Um, he can, of course, become a coach. If he becomes a coach, then he loses the money from the Denver Broncos contract, which he doesn't want to do. So that is something that's going to be fun to watch over the next few weeks. Uh, potentially Vic Fangio is going to be, you know, some sort of, of a helper to the 49ers, at least giving some information. Um, D. Will says, you know, we are hungry for any tidbit. Preseason can't come fast enough. You're right, D. Will. I mean, there, there's a, it, I'm really starting to get the itch for the, for the football season to start. I've even went back and started watching game films from last year. I'm just excited about it. I don't have a lot of time, but when I do, I'll, I've been watching a little bit here and there. So you're right. The, the preseason can't come fast enough. In fact, training can't come, come, can't come fast enough because that's what I'm really excited to go to. I went to training camp last year, really enjoyed watching the coaches and the players interact, and then getting to see where these players were in their development. Um, that's where I first laid eyes on Elijah Mitchell and, and saw the, the potential of what he could be uh, so I'm I'm definitely I'm definitely excited about that. And then um, Lou says, "Is the tight end signing just a camp body?" Yes, the tight end signing is just a camp body. I don't expect the tight end to be able to make the team. The production's not there. His time in the NFL, he's been you know primarily a backup. He has had a little bit of production, but he's a big physical guy. He played at Wisconsin. He understands how to block as an inline blocker. Uh, so he's going to be able to handle that sort of thing. So you just need to make sure you have tight ends. What they did was they, they took a look at Garrett Walson and they thought to themselves, this guy has no you know possibility of making our roster, so we're going to look elsewhere. Uh, they had you know brought Troy in for a workout, and they decided that he was the better option, so they went ahead and went there. Because even though you're, you know he's probably not going to make the 53-man roster, you do want to have the best 90-man roster you can have. Competition breeds competition which means anytime he's on the field, he's a better option than the guy you had. 
which means he's going to push the defense better. You know, the understanding of where he's supposed to be is going to be good. Um, so I'm really, really excited about that. Uh, KDR says, did you see ESPN have this ranked 24? No. Uh, 24 for ESPN, that doesn't surprise me. I'm not shocked by anything that comes from the four-letter network because, you know, when it comes down to it, they're more of a national, you know, media source and, and not individually. They don't know the team inside and out. And often the West Coast is doubted. I mean, the 49ers just aren't a sexy name right now. Um, and until Trey Lance proves himself on the field, I don't think they'll get very much pub. Now, once the 49ers and Trey Lance start to prove themselves, that's when I fully expect the 49ers to start getting some publicity for ESPN to start covering them, for the NFL Network to cover them in a high level. And then everyone will just act like they never saw that they were pre-ranked at 24, and they'll act like they always saw them as one of the better teams. Um, let's see. Paul Saunders says, is he better blocker than Dwelly? Yes, he's a better blocker than Dwelly. That, that's one thing that the four years have consistently looked for is another blocking threat opposite of Charlie Warner and George Kittle because Ross Dwelly has struggled in that area. Ross Dwelly is a, a good receiving threat. He does a pretty good job in that area, but the blocking has lacked. 2019, I believe, was his best blocking season, and since then you just haven't seen that sort of ability come from him as an inline blocker. Uh, and that's a step back. And that's why you've seen Charlie Warner, a six-round pick, step above what Ross Dwelly um, was doing before. And so I think that um, potentially, you know, that is something that it still needs to be addressed. That tight end three position, we'll see. We'll see. They got Jordan Matthews in, in there as well. Jordan Matthews, receiving-wise, is going to be able to push Ross Dwelly. But can he get his blocking up to even Dwelly's level? I'm not sure. If you're telling me he's going to be a stock blocker on the outside, play the power slot, at times, he can fill that role. I don't know if he can be an inline blocker. And if he proves that he can inline block at the level at which you need that tight end to do, uh, then then he's got a, Jordan Matthews has a really good chance to make this team. And Paul Saunders says a Denver win would put us on the map. That's true. A Denver win over Russell Wilson, a 3-0 start, would definitely get the 49ers trending in the right direction. And I believe they would be on the ESPN map, and they would go ahead and start building that, that week four matchup versus the Rams as one of those you know must-watch games. Uh, Bomber T says, bang, bang, Niner gang. What up, TCC? What is up, Bomber T? Welcome to chat. Uh, Lou says, does your crystal ball see any uh, chance we keep four tight ends? I don't see four tight ends making this roster. I think it's going to be three. Uh, and I just believe the 49ers are going to keep transitioning and moving towards having extra wide receivers on the field. So I believe having three tight ends uh, is the only possibility. And I believe four tight ends would have only been the case when they had Jordan Reed in 2020. I don't. I think that was the only opportunity where Kyle Shanahan was looking to use Jordan Reed as that power slot. Um, that was pre-Jawan Jennings. So it's just a different situation. So I don't see four tight ends. Um, if you can't say Packers next, you're ducking. I, I, I don't really know why I need to say Packers. I'm not talking about the Packers. I'm talking about the 49ers. And that's all I'm going to have to say about that. Um, but when we're talking about rookie minicamp, the most impressive guy at rookie minicamp was, in fact, Danny Gray. Danny Gray, the wide receiver at SMU, had himself a heck of a day. Um, he caught a long 50-yard catch on uh, Tariq Castro Fields out of Penn State. Apparently, Tariq Castro Fields put a lot of effort into press man coverage and was consistently getting burned. It's a little bit of a different animal. The press releases at the NFL level are definitely better. And even though he's a 4-3 guy, he doesn't play with 4-3 speed. And we know that Danny Gray definitely plays with 4-3 speed. He's one of those guys 
Um, I really like him a lot. Portola coming through with, he is a tough kid, uh, has played one finger missing respectfully. Yeah, he, he has a, a physical condition. I, I don't remember the exact name of the condition, um, but he does not have a finger on one hand. I believe it's the left hand. I believe it's, I don't remember if it's the index finger, um, but that is that is a true statement. So Port, Portola coming through with a, a nice comment there. Um, well done. And Danny Gray looked pretty good. I got to watch a little bit of his drill work and just watching the way that, you know, he was breaking down, the way he was getting in and out of his breaks. Uh, he looked very fluid and very smooth. And consistently across the board from everyone that watched practice, they said he looked really good. Of course, he did have the one drop. He was targeted five times, came with four catches. The one drop down the field. Uh, you don't want those to happen. We know that was a question coming at SMU that a lot of people were worried about. However, the one thing that's good about it, he dropped down. He gave 10 push-ups. He recognized that, hey, this is not something I can let happen to this team. And uh, he's going to go out there and get it done. And I, I, it's tough for rookies. Uh, let's let's not forget that, you know, in 19, I think it was 1985, uh, Jerry Rice had a lot of drops as a rookie, quarter, or rookie wide receiver. Um, or it's 86, 85, one of those two years. Uh, sorry, I'm getting a little confused on my year. But um, I think that that is something that potentially, you know, can happen to rookies with the concentration factor. And what's up, Cyrus? Welcome to the chat. Um, but Danny Gray went out there and got it done. And he didn't just beat uh, Tariq Castro Fields, which apparently a lot of people were. But he also beat Quantrez Knight, the cornerback from UCLA, who I really like. I like Quantrez Knight. I like his abilities. And I think... Montrez Knight is one of those guys that I think is going to get in there and play really tough. Uh, so I'm excited about him. But Danny Gray's ability to be able to stretch the field, and that was really one of the cool things that he said in his um, conversations you know, with the media was the fact that he wanted to be a guy that took the top off the defense. And, in fact, he preferred being a guy that took the top off the defense instead of catching the ball and running you know, a long ways for the touchdown which is a little bit different from what Jerry Rice used to say. Jerry Rice used to talk about his favorite play was catching the slant um, and outrunning everyone for a touchdown and talked about the hair popping up on his you know, on the back of his neck and how excited that was. Uh, but that's not you know what Danny Gray's about. Danny Gray is going to come in here and he's going to take the top off. And as uh, you know, uh, Forktall said, Gray was exactly what we needed since Goodwin left. You're right, that top-end speed. Uh, the 49ers tried to go with a Travis Benjamin, someone that Kyle Shanahan was very familiar with. But he's been trying to fill this role. He's been, he's tried Marquise Goodwin. He's tried Travis Benjamin. He's looked for different guys. He even tried a big, tall, fast receiver in Kevin White. No one has been able to fit this role, and we think he finally got this guy in the draft. And this is something that they definitely needed to do and someone that they definitely needed to address. Uh, so I do really like that. This is a, a nice move for the 49ers, and Danny Gray had himself a good rookie minicamp and i think that's all you can ask for right now um and i think that you know danny gray is going to be someone to watch i i know there was some negativity that came out after he got drafted potentially not thinking he was a guy that should have been a third third round pick but he definitely should have been a third round pick put on the film watch this guy running his routes he does a very good job and now he's going to get even more coaching here in the nfl and i did like the fact he was getting a lot of really good work at rookie minicamp uh, the other one to talk about is Drake Jackson. Drake Jackson was one of two defensive linemen that were working there. Of course, Atkins, the undrafted free agent out of Fresno State, was also getting that work with Chris Kisarek and Daryl Tapp. Um, the thing that I really liked about it was the fact that Drake Jackson is going to get one-on-one -on -one time. One-on-one -on -one time with Kisarek, one-on-one time with Daryl Tapp is exactly what Jackson needs. He's definitely developmental with his hands. The way that he uses his hands to rush the passer is something he's got to get better at. 
and they were just going through some basic drills. I seen him on the hoop, uh, getting used to that, getting used to striking the bag, getting his hands off really, hands up really quick, um, being able to create and then disengage. It's really basic stuff, but things that you definitely have to clean up. You don't know what exactly, what kind of coaching he was getting. And a guy that sort of transitioned a little bit from not just defensive edge rusher, but to linebacker, um, playing without his hand on the ground. So he's somebody that's going to have to develop those skills again. I think he's going to get better. The good thing is the dude looks like an absolute freak of nature, 265 pounds. It doesn't look like there's much fat on this guy at all. What a tremendous you know body type he has. He's going to be able to acquire even more muscle in the right way. And I think he's going to be a, a big-time player for the 49ers, but a developmental guy. I think everyone needs to be a little bit patient with Drake Jackson, even though he carries a second-round pick status at number 61 overall. Um, he's a guy that definitely needs a little bit of time. And once he gets that time, he's going to start making things happen. Um, yeah, Forktal says, Kalia Davis reminds me of Russell Maryland build-wise. Wow. So Russell Maryland, I haven't heard that one yet. I, I do like that. Everyone's been kind of talking about Kalia Davis, reminding them of DJ Jones, which I think when you watch the film, he definitely does body style. Now they're even giving him, nine, or he's even wearing 93 the DJ Jones number. There's a lot of similarities there. Um, but him in his press conference talking about the fact that he just needs to get used to having his hand in the ground, and that was something he wasn't used to. And the reason he wasn't used to having his hand in the ground consistently because he played linebacker. I mean, that athletic ability to be able to play linebacker at the collegiate level uh, is something that's very impressive and something that definitely shows up on film. So I'm excited about the potentials of Kalia Davis. And I'm going to talk about him a little bit more because he was on a side field working out. He wasn't actually working with Chris Tesseric very much. He's recovering from an ACL. So this is the guy that I think the Fortinaires fully intend to redshirt, minus there being some sort of injury later in the season. So he got the injury in October. He's still recovering. At some point, he's going to be ready to go. But because the Fortinaires have such a luxury on the defensive line, Using one of those comp picks, in fact, pick 220 to pick Kalia Davis makes a lot of sense for them because they can just have him sit back, develop him, let him get right, and then next year unveil him and let him get after it. And already he'll have so much more development being able you know, to be around the building, understand what's going on, and then get the coaching that he's going to want to get. I'm sure he's going to be working with you know, some of the guys. Chris Kacarek often has guys that, he, uh, that are individually outside of the organization that these players work with during the offseason, and that's exactly what Kalia Davis needs to do. Now, watching his film, he's an exciting player. It, well, the first step is fantastic. He's a penetrator. He gets through that line of scrimmage at a rapid pace. He's able to get into the backfield where he can potentially cause problems. The problem with Kalia Davis is he doesn't finish those plays right now. So if you've been watching the 49ers, you know DJ Jones finishes those plays in a big way. Huge sacks of Russell Wilson, huge stops against the run. Those are things Kalia Davis doesn't finish right now. But teaching someone to finish is definitely a trait that you can do. He has the athletic ability to get through and then run down the line of scrimmage and be able to track these running backs and quarterbacks down. Overall athletic ability and uh, aggressiveness coming from that interior defensive line spot is something the 49ers consistently want to do. This is a guy that is legit, legit. Um, you know, starting potential eventually as he develops. So uh, P. Murray saying, what DBs stood out? But the DB conversation wasn't a lot. But these guys were going in seven-on-sevens. And when you're in seven-on-seven situations, more than likely you're going to get smoked and you're going to get burned. 
Um, so that's part of the problem. We do know that um, some guys weren't even really tested. You know what I mean? I mean, some guys, uh, Samuel Womack uh, only had one catch caught on him the entire time, and that was Danny Gray. Danny Gray made a 10-yard catch against him. But some of the ways that they were, the styles that they were employing were a little bit different. They had Tariq Castro-Fields running press man. They had Samuel Womack playing off. Um, I think these guys were coming out there and doing different things and then letting their, you know, kind of seeing where they stand out. They're using their strengths uh, and then seeing how they handle those strengths, and then they're going to have to mold these guys. So I think that that is one thing I saw on film. Womack likes to play off. Womack likes to come up and secure the tackles, and that's actually one of my major drawbacks on him is I feel that at times he allows receivers to get a little bit more separation than they should get, and then he comes up and makes the tackle, which I love. I love that you're able to make those tackles, but you're also going to give separation and allow first downs here in the NFL. And then also, these guys in the NFL are great with the ball in their hands and being able to create in space. You give them too much space and they're going to make plays. So I do have some concerns about that, and I think Womack is going to have to kind of tighten up his cover some. He's going to have to press on these wide receivers a little bit more. So I'm I'm having a, a kind of tempered approach to these guys. Some of the cornerbacks I'm excited about um, but they've got an uphill battle. These new guys, Samuel Womack, you know, Tariq Castro Fields, even uh, Quantrez Knight have a tough, tough sled ahead of them because, uh, you know, you have Diameter Lenore, you have Ombre Thomas, two guys that are already been in the system and two guys that are highly thought about in the 49ers organization. Not to mention, you have Darquez Denard, a first round talent at the cornerback position, who, I mean, weeks before the draft, Fred Warner was saying was the starting nickel corner on this team. That has to carry some weight and some value. And then you have uh, Dante Johnson, who just doesn't go away. Dante Johnson is here consistently, and I feel like his play has actually gotten better over the last couple of years as the 49ers have found a better defined role for him. And I think that his ver position versatility, being able to play nickel, uh, a little bit of a stretch for him playing outside, but he can do it. And then also the safety position, which he did, uh, is something that you got to keep watching. Uh, Fortunal says, uh, Kaserik will no doubt get Davis to his max potential. I agree. I think if you really want to work and you want to get better, Chris Kaserik is a good a good coach to have, and I think he knows he's in the perfect situation to be the best player. And in fact, that's something Drake Jackson said during his presser was he felt like this was the perfect situation for him. How excited he was just walking through the halls of the you know in Santa Clara of the facility and seeing all the trophies and and just realizing what it meant. Uh, it is something important for these guys, and I think this is a, a big weekend for them. It was exciting, and now we get to talk about some of the things that they did. But you're right. Chris Kacerik is one of those guys that you just fully believe the 49ers can put um, players with him, and if they have dynamic abilities, he's going to get the most out of them. And we've seen him develop players consistently now. Chris Kacerik is worth every single penny. Uh, there should be no question about how much he gets paid because he's one of the highest-paid assistant coaches in the league. And in my opinion, they're going to have to end up shelling out more. An interesting guy because he doesn't really want to be a, a coordinator. He, has, he just wants to be a position coach, and he does it really, really well. Um, RD, uh, Fortel says our DB group might be the biggest sleeper group in the entire D, in my opinion. I think the defensive back group, especially the cornerbacks, has more depth than we've ever had in the Kyle Shanahan-John Lynch regime. I think they're very exciting. Uh, they have young players, a mix of young players and veterans that understand what they're supposed to do. So I, I do like the mixture of young and old. I think this is a really good group. And I think that we're going to hear more and more out of this once we get to minicamp and they start going against 
other players besides just these rookie wide receivers. Um, some of the wide receivers that came in with the rookie group, you know, they were okay, um, but they're not exactly the most dynamic. So let's see what happens when they go against other guys. But you're right. Some really good football players are not going to make this cornerback group for the San Francisco 49ers because they just have, I mean, the, the top three guys between uh, Traverius Ward, Emmanuel Mosley, and Jason Verrett are top notch. I mean, if these guys are healthy, this is one of the best groups in the NFL, uh, especially in the West. It's, it's just a really good one. Uh, I think Ward is ascending to be one of those big time players. And Mosley had his best season last year. If, if we can get anything like we got from 2020 from Jason Verrett, uh, this group is going to be fantastic. And we still got Ombre Thomas, who is learning, developing, and got a lot of really key reps last year, including playoff reps and NFC Championship reps, which uh, when you don't buckle under the pressure and you're able to handle that, you you got to be excited about his potential in the future. And Lou says the best part is Davis has the ability to excel at a bargain salary, so it costs very little to find out. You're right. And you can have him sit this year without any repercussions at all. It's not going to hurt you. He's going to be on the pup list. And then... When he does come in, he's a six-round pick. He's going to be playing on the cheap for three years, three years of really cheap football, and that's exactly what they have with DJ Jones because DJ Jones was undrafted. They developed him, turned him into the you know perennial Pro Bowl caliber player that he is right now, getting the huge contract. So that's what they're trying to do. It's it's you know rinse and repeat for the 49ers as they go and they draft and they develop, uh, and they also sign a lot of really good undrafted free agents. So I do like what the 49ers are doing with these players. Um, Forkoff says, Ward, Verrett, Eman, pretty solid considering our rush. That's very solid. And it was always the always the point was the 49ers had a really good defensive line that would mask the possible issues on the back end, right? We don't have to be as good at corner. We don't have to pay those cornerbacks. We don't have to pay those safeties because we have this wonderful front seven and defensive line. However, now with the fact that we're going to have this really good secondary to go with this front seven in this defensive line that gets after you, it means when the defensive line can't get home, potentially the secondary can hold. And if the secondary can hold, then coverage sacks become a real thing. And all of a sudden, this defense goes from being, you know, a, a top 10 defense in the league to the to one of the top five, maybe even the best defense, depending on how this front seven continues to operate. This linebacker group also is the best in the league, and I don't even think it's close. Um, Lou says, any news on how JV is progressing in his rehab? I have not heard anything about Jason Brett uh, recently. I just know that reading the tea leaves, the fact that the 49ers were willing to sign him uh, means that they feel very comfortable with where he's at in his recovery. They feel that he's going to be able to contribute to their football team. They went ahead and they spent money on him. I think that's something that you always take into account. Now, it wasn't very much money. Um, but I believe Jason Verrett is continuing to get closer and closer. And the fact that his injury happened at the beginning of September means he's on pace to be back for the regular season, potentially even back for training camp. That would be exciting to see, to be able to see Jason Verrett, um, you know, wearing that 49ers uniform again. And I, I think we could see it here pretty soon. And, you know, another guy, another key um, part of the 49ers organization to watch and something that fans were really wanting the 49ers to address in a big way was the offensive line position. It is a priority for the 49ers to keep young Trey Lance upright and allow him to be able to find the open receivers and get the ball and just keep him healthy. So they did. They went out and they drafted some offensive linemen, signed the offensive linemen as undrafted free agents. And there was some, some nice things that came out. Uh, the first thing I, I saw on film from watching some of the drills that I thought Spencer Burford uh, Nick Zakel and 
Jason Poe looked absolutely explosive. I like the footwork. I like the way that their technique looked. Um, they were doing a really good job technique-wise. And that's one of the things I always uh, draw to first because if you have a nice base and you have a nice technique, um, you can go ahead and learn you know, transitional things. Spencer Burford talked about it a little bit in his press conferences. Um, they asked him about his mindset and if his mindset changes going from outside and playing tackle to going inside. And he said, no, your mindset doesn't change. Just some of the techniques at which you have to operate with, some of the distance from an edge rusher um, you know, to an interior defensive lineman change. These guys gave really, really smart answers. And then when you saw them going through their drills, you saw good technique. And they were going through just base drills. They were working on the, you know, the zone blocking, getting yourself in the right place, getting your hands on the defender. Um, they were working on that. And then they also worked on some pulling uh, from the video that I saw. And I thought they looked really good. Of course, Jason Poe stands out as the absolute athletic freak of nature that he is. Uh, you can definitely tell he's six foot one. I mean, that's one thing you can tell is he's six foot one. He doesn't have the length of some of the other guys, but the athletics, athleticism is on display in a big way. He's exciting to watch. I'm curious what they're going to do. And this is something that I was kind of alluding to as we went through some of our videos last week when we were talking about Jason Poe was these things would give us an idea of where Jason Poe was going to end up. Jason Poe practicing with the, the 49ers interior offensive line, meaning right now they see him as an offensive lineman. Now, I've seen news articles that kind of are starting to link him to other positions. Of course, there was a conversations about him playing fullback at junior in junior college. Uh, so that is something that he's done and something he's willing to do. And I think, in fact, he would love to do that at the NFL level. The problem is we have Kyle Juszczyk. Uh, so the, the odds of, of him playing fullback are probably not very high. I think that potentially if you wanted to make him an inline blocker or have him play the H-back role, um, he could do that. But right now, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen him do anything. So um, we're going to see what happens. But right now it looks like he's going to be an interior offensive lineman for the 49ers. And let's see how he progresses. We do know he's going to be able to block at a high level on pull. So that's something he's going to excel at. Um, let's see if that length go gives him problems. When he goes against somebody like Eric Armstead or someone like Javon Kinlaw, can he get underneath them? Can he be able to control them? Those are some of the things I really have concerns about when it comes to Jason Poe. Um, Pete Mer says, I still think Poe might be 280-pound fullback for the power game and let Juice be Juice. You know what? If, if they decided to put to have um, Poe lose 20 pounds and have him play you know, as a, a power kind of fullback, I would be okay with that. I, I think that that is something that I'd be definitely okay with. But right now, that's not what they've given us. If they give us that, um, I'll be really excited to watch that because I, I do like when big guys get to go and create. Um, so Lewis saying Poe, another potential for their Swiss Army knife. We'll see. I think right now they're plugging him in. They're seeing what he can do. I also haven't put past the, the thought process of Poe moving to the defensive side of the football, having that elite first step, having that elite athleticism. You, if you're willing to take the chance, you can turn this guy into a defensive lineman. Uh, that quick ability is something that you would like, but we'll see. We'll see what he ends up being. I think he's still one of the most compelling guys that are in 49ers camp because of the decisions of where he's going to be playing. Uh, Forktall says Mac still undecided. Yeah, there's no news coming from, from Alex Mack right now. There's no, there's no real decision that's being made. We don't know if the 49ers front office knows where Mac is sitting. We know that they didn't decide to address center early in this draft. So potentially you would think that means they know Mac is coming back. 
I don't know that for sure, though, because the way that John Lynch worded things was like Mac was going to make an announcement. If Mac's going to make an announcement, that would usually coincide with a retirement or something like that. But right now, we just don't know what's going to happen with Alex Mack, so we're in the waiting game. That's why the 49ers kind of addressed the center position the way they did. Um, Nick Zakel potentially could be that center option. I think he's a very, very smart player. And if anyone watched his press conference, analytically, this guy is, is through the roof. A guy that already has his master's from Fordham, which is no easy feat. Tremendously smart. He's going to understand what's going to happen with the playbook. And it starts to put in perspective what he did at the Senior Bowl. A guy that was, you know, a tackle his entire career, uh, multiple starts at both tackle spots. And then when he gets, you know, to the Senior Bowl, they want to kick him inside. Struggles initially in one-on-ones. Struggles on day one of being inside day two. But when he gets to the game, he starts to figure it out. He looks really good. So I'm excited about the potential of Nick Zakel. And we know that since I watched film of him, the, the very first night after the draft, I've been excited about him. So I think Nick Zakel is a guy to watch as potential center replacement. I hope Alex Mack comes back. I hope Zakel is his understudy for one year. And then you go ahead and you turn the young kid loose when Mack retires. I think that would be very, very exciting. Steven Mandler says, Danny Gray, shining wide receiver three. I, I think so. Danny Gray is going to add that added aspect to this offense that you haven't had you know, at a high level in a while. The fact that he can take the top off the defense but still be able to create in the intermediate area. Um, that's one of the things with his size. You're, can he hold up against the rigors of taking that contact? I believe he can. But I also believe the speed to be able to catch a ball you know, over the middle and take it to the house is something the foreigners are going to enjoy having on their team. And it also is going to free up Brandon Ayuk to do some some different things than he's been doing in this offense. I think the the Niners really knocked it out of the park with the additions of Ray Ray McLeod and then Danny Gray through the draft because they added different caliber and different kind of players that, that have different tools the foreigners don't have in that wide receiver room right now. Jawan Jennings is a possession receiver. That's what he does. He's going to have some tough yardage after catch. You know, Brandon Ayuk is one of those guys that's a smooth route runner that can create in the middle of the field but can also zip right behind you and make a big play. And then Debo Samuel can do it all. So adding these guys that can do different things is something that's very important. And the Niners really went out and addressed it and handled it exactly how we thought. I mean, when we were talking about free agency and potential off-season moves, we talked about getting a guy that could take the top off the defense and a guy that can create in the open space like Ray Ray McLeod. And I think they found that, not to mention Ray Ray McLeod's ability to be able to help you on special teams. Very, very important. Uh, Forktal says the versatility of post seems huge. It definitely could be. Uh, it, it definitely could be. And 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 he also said, yeah, the tea leaves do point to a return, in my opinion, too. I think so. And I think I would really like Alex Mack to come back and be able to work with Nick Zakel. I think Zakel would be that guy. You would move on from Jake Brindle. Uh, but I also do like Spencer Burford. I, I was a huge fan of Spencer Burford's film once I really got into it. He was a guy that made our top 50 players, our top 50 board uh, for 49ers before the draft was Spencer Burford was on there. He's one of those guys that we're excited about. And I don't think hearing what he had to say, um, his press conferences changed anyone's opinion. The one thing I will say about these guys is, number one, they're all highly intelligent, all love football, and all love to get after it. So I'm, I'm super excited about this group, and I'm excited about these offensive line players. Um, these offensive line players are really exciting for the 49ers, and potentially, I mean, it's going to take some time, but maybe they can replace Lakin Tomlinson. Uh, tomorrow on Cutback Colony, I'm going to get fully into the offensive line and what the offensive line could look like. You know, is Aaron Banks going to be that guy at left guard? Is it going to be Colton McKivitz? Um, there's a lot of conversations surrounding the offensive line, and the 49ers created a lot of competition through this draft. 
Uh, Spencer Burford being a fourth-round pick. Nick Zakel being pick 187. I think these are guys that are going to come and compete. Um, but they weren't done because they added Donovan West as an undrafted free agent, a guy that would have been drafted in any other season except for this one where there's an abundance of players because of the COVID uh, and what happened with everyone returning for an extra year. And then also Jason Poe, who, as you guys are all talking about in the chat, is one of the most compelling prospects in this entire draft. Uh, and I, I think that he's one of those guys that players are, are going to be looking to figure out what his role is going to be. Of course, if they could get that elite athletic uh, athleticism to be able to play offensive line, I think they would definitely be excited for that. Emer says this is true the first year in depth in all of the positions. Yeah, I think so. You know, and I think one of the concerns P. Murr has been the safety position. Um, and that's what a lot the conversations has been going to that consistently in the offseason. The fact that Jaquiski Tart hasn't come back. You do have Tarverius Moore, who, because he was on the pup list the entire season last year, um, he did not get another, you know, crude season. He's back. And I think that Tarverius Moore is the most likely to start opposite of Jimmy Ward. If the 49ers feel really comfortable with his ability, a guy that they worked as a corner when he first got drafted. So he has coverage ability. He hasn't covered in the NFL as good as Jaquiski Tart, which brings you some some reason for pause. Um, but he's a guy that they're definitely high on because they weren't willing to make a move for a safety in the draft. We know that they did bring in some undrafted free agents. So potentially one of those undrafted free agents, you know, could make this roster. We'll see. George Odom coming over from Indianapolis Colts at the time. Um, a lot of people started tying the amount of the amount of money in the contract to being a guy that could potentially come in here and compete for a starting job. Uh, and we know the 49ers will let anyone compete. So if he's if he has the opportunity, he can go in there and do it. A guy that can create in the box does really good there. Same with Tao Hufanga. Has Hufanga developed enough in the you know in the pass coverage game to be able to step into that role opposite of Jimmy Ward? I don't know. And I think that they had a specific role for what Talano Hufanga was going to do in year one. I expect them to somewhat expand that role in year two, give him some more opportunities in coverage, uh, because as you learn, he's going to be able to run a lot of the zone coverage schemes. I think he can handle those. What I worry about is the matchups, you know, where they like to go and they like to put Tart one-on-one with the tight end, or they like to put, you know, Jimmy Ward one-on-one in the, with a, a, in the slot with a, one of these wide receivers that can really get it done. And then you have to count on Hufanga to cover a lot of grass if he's playing the center of the field. Those are questions that still need to be answered. So the safety position is one of those ones that hasn't been answered yet, but it could be answered as soon as we get to training camp in the preseason. If Tarverius Moore or Talano Hufanga are ready to step up and play one of these spots, then the 49ers really don't have holes again. I, I think that's a, a, a very good point that you made, P. Murr. This is one of those times where um, there's not very many holes. It's a very deep roster. I don't think I've talked about a roster being this deep uh, since, you know, Trent Bulky and uh, Jim Harbaugh here, probably like the 2012 season was really deep. Uh, Forktel says, so do you think Odom has a shot? I really don't know what to think about him. I think anyone has a shot. We know what his abilities are going to be in the special teams game. And that's how I originally saw that draft or that signing, you know, being a part of. They made a concerted effort to address the one third of the game that is, you know, special teams. And I think that with the new coordinator, the new idea uh, they also brought in, you know, um, Oren Burks as well to play linebacker and help on special teams. Raver McLeod helping, in, you know, in the return game. I I think uh, this is something that the 49ers, you know, were making an effort to do. And I think that is the first overall thought on it. But the fact that he has some flash plays and has a lot of, you know, potential there, I think they could work it, you know. And, and if Odom comes in there and, and outplays the players around him, 
he will be on this roster. That's just that simple. That's just how the 49ers operate. If you're the best player you play, they don't care if you're a second-round draft pick, a first-round draft pick. Um, they just want to go ahead and get the best players out there. And then Ronnie Montoya says, hey, Ant, just join. I don't know if you answer this, but with the signing of the new tight end, does that mean Ross Dooley might be in trouble or on the bubble? I don't think so. I think that this the new signing was really a signing uh, to bolster the 90-man roster. I think they really got to look at Waltson. Uh, the undrafted free agent that they had signed, and they just thought, you know what, um, we brought this tight end for a workout. He looks better than Waltz, and let's go ahead and bring him in and just make sure that our 90-man roster is stronger than it was yesterday. And I think that sometimes these moves you know, could look to impact other players, but I don't think they actually do. I think right now the biggest uh, risk to Ross Dwelly is, in fact, Jordan Matthews because Matthews' ability to be a receiver from the tight end position he has more ability than the two guys under George Kittle. He was a, a legit wide receiver in this league. He understands what it means to run routes and how to use leverage, you know, and, and he has good feel in zone. So I think that area, he is far superior than the other two. The problem is the blocking was so bad because he's so late in the development becoming a tight end. Would he be able to block inline? If he's able to block inline, he comes even close to being as good a blocker as Ross Dwelly. That is the biggest concern for Ross Willie making this roster because um, he's really good. And what's up, Grish? Uh, welcome to chat. I really appreciate you coming through. Um, thanks for doing that. And he says, uh, do you think uh, Trey Lance ready to take the next step? I mean, I do think Trey Lance is ready to take the next step over what we saw last year because I saw a continual development of Trey Lance from the beginning, you know, all the way in training camp where me and Alex saw him play at training camp all the way until the Texans game. And you saw the ups and the downs and the way that he really struggled in training camp with the move the ball sessions. And then the way he got into the second half of the Texans game. And he was able to steer the offense in the right direction, make a lot of the calls. Now we know he was getting some assistance from Kyle Juszczyk. Uh, but that is something that every player would love to have is assistance from Kyle Juszczyk. That Harvard, uh, you know, Harvard education is, is real. Uh, so I think that when it comes down to it, Trey's going to continue to get better. The question will be, how big of a step is that going to be? If Trey Lance is making a step and he's stepping up to a level that's beyond what Jimmy Garoppolo is currently at, then the 49ers are going to win a lot of football games. If he's not and that step is below what Jimmy Garoppolo's abilities were as far as managing the team, getting the 49ers in the right place, and then executing the off-schedule throws, um, then there's something to be said there. But I do think he's going to continue to take a step forward. How big a step, I don't know. We'll see what happens with his off-season training. And his understanding of Kyle Shanahan's offense, I think he is going to have a better understanding of the offense. And one thing that's really going to help him is if they get a nice center, and hopefully it's Alex Mack, um, but potentially it could be somebody like Donovan West. I would be surprised if Donovan West started at center, um, but he's somebody to keep an eye on. Everyone's very high on him at coming out of Arizona State, even though I still believe Nick Zakel would beat him out for that spot. I just want to make that uh, uh, clear still. Uh, so Bomber T says, hey, Ant, is Lynch the worst negotiator in the NFL? I think we have way too much for Trey, and he overpaid for a lot of players. Trim Balky is worse, but Lynch isn't far behind. Uh, I don't think he's the worst negotiator. You know, I've seen some really, really bad deals uh, throughout the years, and we don't know what this Trey Lance deal is going to ultimately look like in a couple of years. If Trey Lance, you know, is, is a guy that takes the 49ers to the Super Bowl and they win, he's worth every single draft pick they gave up and more. So I think right now we just don't know yet. It's the guy that's a developmental guy in his first year. We still have four years on his rookie pay scale. So until we get farther along in this rookie contract, I'm not ready to say Trey Lance's, you know, that Trey Lance move was was paying too much for him or not enough. I don't know yet. And I think that's one of the things that 
we don't have to make that decision right now. We can wait and see. Uh, so I, I am excited about that potential of being able to wait and see and what Trey could do. Um, but I, I also think, you know, we talked about him overpaying players and initially the first parts of his contract bomber, you know, our 20, the first part of his uh, tenure with the Niners, 2017, 2018, they had to overpay players to get them to come to San Francisco. The 49ers weren't a winning football team. And the fact that they weren't a winning football team is one thing. The other fact is when you play in California, you're going to pay players more than you would pay them in other states because the taxes are so high here. Um, I mean, the money's just not worth as much in California or even in New York as it is in Florida or um, Nevada. The, the, the money just is a lot you know, worth a lot more there, including Texas. Uh, so those are things that the 49ers often have to compete with. I think they've found ways to use uh, strategic ways for Prague to maneuver these contracts. So I like what they're doing. Um, so that's that's something. And uh, and then uh, Bomber T says, if Trey is a bust, will Kyle or John get fired? If he's a complete bust and we get three or four years down the road, both could be fired uh, unless they win or find a way to overcome because winning cures all. So if, if Trey Lance ended up being a bust, and I don't think he's going to be a bust, but if he ended up being a bust and the 49ers still found a way to win a Super Bowl, uh, then everything is forgiven because you won a Super Bowl. And I think that's what's the most important. Winning always mass all things. Ronnie Montoya says, who do you think makes the starting lineup first, Zakel, West, or Poe? Um, out of those three, I think it would be Zakel. I, I believe Zakel is the one that has the most ability. I think he has the most intelligence from the offensive line position. He's going to put himself in the right situations to be successful, and I do believe he is the, the center that they would like um, to replace Alex Mack eventually. I don't think it's right now, but eventually. I think Donovan West is coming in and West has position versatility as well. Um, so what they're doing is if Zakel doesn't work out, you potentially have West to play center. This is smart. You go ahead and you bring in multiple guys. The odds of them working out, uh, one guy is not very high, but multitude of guys, potentially, that makes a lot of sense. But bringing in guys that have a lot of position versatility and guys that you feel you know have a chance to make your roster, that's a smart move. So having those three guys, all three of them could potentially play center in the NFL. Uh, but they all have the ability to play guard. And with Zakel, he has the ability to play all five positions. That is position versatility and intelligence. You don't get a lot um, in the NFL, but um, he, he can definitely do it. So I'm excited about that. Uh, Grish says, first time I saw Spencer Burford, he looks like a tight end. He looks small. Yeah, I mean, the guy is six foot six, 316 pounds. Uh, the, he moves really, really well. He looks like a power forward in the, in the NBA. That's really what he looks like. Uh, he's got a nice build. When you see him in pads, he looks the part. He looks good. Don't be surprised if they don't put, you know, five, ten pounds on him. I look for them to put five pounds on him this year, potentially by a sophomore season, him playing up over 325 pounds. I think he can carry that weight, carry that strength, and still be able to have the athletic ability that makes him very enticing for the 49ers' offensive scheme. Uh, being able to get to that second level and make those blocks on the edge is something that definitely the, the 49ers uh, are looking at. Uh, Fortal says Trey made obvious strides forward last year, but his lack of passing volume in college still worries me a tiny bit. But I don't think he will be a bust at all. Maybe just another year of study. Yeah, I, I don't see the bust card yet. Uh, potentially, you know, he's going to have to go in there. But the good news is he competed with a very good Arizona team. The 49ers almost won that game. And then he competed with the Texans and won the game and kept the 49ers in it. So I definitely don't think he's a bust. The question is, is he going to be able to get past um, you know, what the expectations are, because right now the expectations for Trey Lance for some are just astronomical. I don't know if he'll ever be able to reach those expectations. I hope he can. Um, 
Fort Sewell says, if Trey busts, they will absolutely get fired, in my opinion, but he won't, I don't think. I, I'm with you. Uh, Shooter says, Trey won't be a bust. He will need some time to develop in the offense. Agreed, Shooter. I'm with you on that. The podcast says, Nation says, who do you have in the NFC Championship this year? Right now, I haven't really put anyone, but thanks for coming through, podcast. I haven't really put anyone in the NFC Championship, to be honest with you. I want to see how this plays out. And one of the questions I want to have is how this new receiver group of the Packers is going to work out for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, they added a lot of speed. You know, uh, Christian Watson was a was a great pick. I, I want to see what's going to happen there. I want to see what's going to happen with, you know, Sammy Watkins. Uh, so I think this, so to be determined, I think the Rams are weakened. So potentially there's an opportunity for the Rams to be knocked off. Uh, but there's always somebody that comes up out of nowhere. I think that the Packers are going to be in the midst of it. I think the 49ers are going to be in the midst of the playoff hunt. Um, but right now, I, I think that there's a lot of teams that potentially could be in the NFC Championship. So I'm not sure if it'll be the Packers. I'm not sure if it'll be the 49ers or the Rams. Um, but it's going to be something that's fun to watch. I think as the season plays out, it'll get a little bit more clear. Uh, but I want to see how those you know certain pieces fit with some of these new teams. Uh, Lou says, is Brendel a, a 53-man lock? No, I don't think so. I don't think Brendel's a lock at all. I think if Alex Mack comes back... Um, I think that potentially Brendel could be gone because I think one of these young guys could go take the spot. Um, and Forkstall says 6'6", 330, that's not small. Uh, he's, right now, uh, Spencer Burford is 316 pounds. So 316 pounds with a 6'6 frame. It's not small. But remember, Mike McGlinchey's similar height, they want him playing at 320+. plus. Um, that's why I said five pounds for Spencer Burford right now, and then eventually develop even more. Uh, so I like that. So I think eventually he could get to that point. Um, but you're right. Six foot six, 330 pounds, absolute monster. In fact, six, six, uh, 316 pounds is a monster. I stood next to Mike McGlinchey at training camp last year, and I've never felt smaller in my entire life. The guy's an absolute huge individual. Uh, Lou says he hasn't even had a chance yet. Please stop with the bus talk. You're right. There's no reason uh, to talk about that right now. Uh, Pat Cass says, I think we will be just fine. Niners have a chance as well, but Trey has to prove himself. Exactly. Questions at the quarterback position, even though we have a lot of faith in Trey Lance, he has to prove it. Um, and, and, you know, the way that you're feeling as well about the Packers is, is good. I mean, I'm, I'm going to lean on people that see it every single day and understand what that group is going to look like. But in the end, right, you still always have Aaron Rodgers, which is, which is really nice. Uh, so you got to love that. And we have a new great wide receiver, and our D is loaded. Your defense is very good. Um, really enjoyed watching your defense last year. And I'm very thankful that special teams was able to help knock off Green Bay last year. Uh, so I think that that, you know, is something that's going to continue to be um, something to watch. But you're right. Uh, Garish brought up the studs, Watson and Romeo Dobbs. Um, those are very good, very good football players. And, and Romeo Dobbs was a nice pick to go with Watson. They added speed and athleticism, which they had to do. They're replacing Devontae Adams and MVS. Uh, you needed to go ahead and add some really good players, and I, I think they did there. Now, one of the things that the 49ers have continued to do, and one of the reasons that they're going to have an opportunity in the NFC, is they continue to add these big physical running backs. And Ty Davis-Price is a guy that they added, and all the conversation was about, is he fast enough? Because 49ers fans fully thought the 49ers were going to go for a speedy running back, somebody that could you know imitate and kind of do the things that they had going on with Raheem Mostert and Matt Breida and be able to run that outside zone. And the 49ers were like, uh-uh, not so much. Uh, so they went ahead and got Ty Davis Price, and he's gonna he announced that he's going to play at 220 pounds. 220 pounds is a really, really big running back. Elijah Mitchell talked earlier about the fact he's going to be going to 215 pounds this year, and he was somebody that played 
around 211, 212. So they're having him put on a little bit of weight. Something very, very interesting. So I'm super excited about this running back room. I want to see what's going to happen with Ty Davis Price. Um, Ty Davis Price is an exciting guy. And, you know, the, the, the Pat Cast Nation says 49ers cutback was a great game, but if it wasn't for the block punt, it would obviously be a win. You're right. The good news is the special team still plays a big part of that, uh, and, and that's something that's huge. And then uh, KDR says, who, who gets 14 when it's all said and done, O'Neal or Purdy? Um, I would say Purdy would get it. Number one, Purdy would have priority as being the seventh-round draft pick over Leon O'Neal. I think Leon O'Neal would, would happily move to another number. Um, but Brock Purdy would be the guy that I would fully expect to get 14 because with Jawan Jennings wearing 15, that's the next logical choice, right, for Purdy to wear 14. So, in fact, 14 could be Brock Purdy unless and because i especially because i don't think either guy is going to make the roster either kdr i think both of them are going to be on the practice squad um so i think that's something that we're going to remember uh but ty davis price also is going to be wearing number 32 and that's something interesting because every time i see 32 i think of ricky waters and i know this is a completely different style of running back because ricky waters was an absolute fantastic player not only running the football but catching the ball the backfield ty davis price film and then what he did at rookie minicamp, I saw him. I wasn't overly excited about his receiving ability. Um, it looked like a guy that wasn't really comfortable with what he was doing as far as routes. It looked like a guy that wasn't extremely smooth catching the football. I don't know. Something about it just didn't really look good. But the running back that looked good catching the football at the backfield was, in fact, Jordan Mason, the undrafted um, free agent that they signed. Uh, he looked good catching the football. And a big physical guy as well, over 220 pounds. But I started to say, okay, maybe this guy can come in and compete as that third down back. Um, something to watch, especially as we continue to move uh, through the offseason. Um, Forktal says, you think Sermon is on the hot seat now? Um, I'm not sure it comes down to Sermon on the hot seat. I think it could be Jermichael Hasey or Jeff Wilson Jr. Uh, I'm not ready to kind of throw out Sermon yet. And in fact, I'm not a huge fan of what Sermon provides. Uh, with the way that his running style is. I don't believe he's a one-cut-and-go guy, and I know they were trying to develop him into the one-cut-and-go guy. Um, but with the big physical body that he has, and he has pretty good vision as well, he's somebody I wouldn't really want to throw out right now. He's somebody that I would definitely uh, think that you should give some time to see if he could develop. Let's see what Anthony Lynn can do with him. Bobby Turner was really working with him. So I think that Sermon, well, let's see what he does during the full preseason. He's obviously going to get a lot of carries in the preseason. Um, but let's see how he looks compared to, you know, Ty Davis-Price, Michael Hasty, and Jeff Wilson Jr. Um, they can move on from anyone at the end of their um, roster and really not struggle with the, you know, with the finances or anything like that. But I think giving up on Sermon this early, um, that would be interesting. I mean, that's a third-round pick. That's a lot of draft capital there. Uh, at Fournier's Cutback, this is from uh, Packers Nation. says, what are your takes on the Rams? Their future is doomed, LOL. No draft picks to replace the level of roster as now. They're in a win-now situation. They're in a, a situation that they're trying to build a super team. That's what they went in for. They're trying to win back-to-back -back Super Bowls. Uh, losing Von Miller was huge, and, you know, they, they went ahead and, and added Bobby a Wagner, thinking that that was going to be something, and, and maybe it will. Maybe it'll help their run game or run defense because the run defense isn't very good. The problem is they have no depth. If they suffer injuries you know, in a multitude of areas, they're going to be in a lot of trouble, not to mention left tackles, a real weakness for them there, and a corner 
you know, cornerback uh, positions and opposite or opposite of their really good corner there uh, is a struggle as well. So I, I think that they've got some holes that they're going to have to overcome. Um, but we'll see if they can get that run game going with Cam Akers. Potentially, they have the ability to win a lot of football games in this league. Uh, KDR says O'Neill versus Purdy custody of Ant's jersey ladder match. Ooh, I like that. Uh, that'd be exciting. Um, P. Mer says give Sermon a chance first. I, I like that. Yeah, let's give let's give him a chance. Um, and I, I think that these running backs are going to have a lot of chances, a lot of opportunities, um, and we're going to see what happens. Bolivar Traska, as we dominated the Rams, 11 of 12 quarters played last year. One bad quarter keeps us out of the Super Bowl. Yeah, that happens. Um, that definitely happens, Bolivar. And I think that, you know, the 49ers um, are looking at this situation and realizing that they had a really good opportunity to get to the Super Bowl again, and they weren't able to get it done. And I think that's why they're excited about the potential of this 2022 roster, the way they've added They've added players at key situations uh, that are going to really help this football team. And, you know, adding Jason Verrett back, I know he's had all the questions about the injuries, but adding Jason Verrett back to the fold, you already had Emmanuel Mosley. You went on, you got Traverius Ward. I mean, you were, I was thinking, man, we got some pretty good corners now. And adding Jason Verrett back really changes the dynamics because when you do play the Rams in those certain situations and Cooper Cup is lining up in the nickel, if you wanted Jason Verrett to go travel with them, you could do that now. Jason Brett has that ability to play inside and outside. Uh, so does Emmanuel Mosley. That versatility is going to be huge for the 49ers. And I think those are things that the 49ers struggled a little bit with at the end of the NFC Championship game. And I think that, you know, the fact that Aubrey Thomas didn't sag enough on a couple of those plays and potentially left a window. Uh, we know that Jaquiski Tart's going to catch the blame for not, you know, catching that interception. And, you know, he knows he deserves, you know, a little bit of that. But, um, there were there were plays to be made in that game by a lot of players, and it didn't get made. And I think the 49ers look at that situation and understand, you know what, next year we can get it done, though. Uh, and I, I think that's what they're really building towards, and they're building a really, really good football team. Uh, Packers says, well, we, we'll win at least one more ring with Rodgers, but the day he leaves, I don't know what we'll do. Uh, that's a big question, Aaron Rodgers, and I thought that was going to happen right now. It didn't. Uh, we'll see how the Packers you know, react to that. Uh, Boulevard says, we added cornerbacks who can cover cup. I think it's. I think it could be Jason Wright and Emmanuel Mosley in a multitude of different ways. Also, all the while getting after the quarterback. I mean, without the left tackle going to be there, um, without Whitworth, go get after you know, go get after Matthew Stafford early and often. Uh, and and I think if they do, they'll make it really difficult on the Rams. Uh, Bobo says what we learned from rookie minicamp is these kids know how to show up for practice. Oh well, if you want to keep it that simple, yeah. Um, but what I think we got from. You know, some of the pressers and some of the things that we saw and, and was the mentality of these players and why the 49ers felt they were made of the right stuff. You hear all the time John Lynch talk about players who are made of the right stuff. And every single one of these guys had really cool things to say in their pressers. I mean, Ty Davis Price talked about how he's won a championship at every level at which he played, and he fully intends to win a Super Bowl with the 49ers. And you talk about Spencer Burford saying, uh, you know, he, he's not um, – not someone special, but he, or, I can't remember the exact term. But basically, you know, he's not—he's not no one, but he's—you know—he's—he's he's somebody, but he's not nobody. Uh, I thought that was really cool. Just the the humbleness that he was playing with, Sakel being so intelligent in the way that he was handling, you know, the questions and interacting with the media. Uh, these guys are well polished. The John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan went out and got guys who are not just about football. Um, but are really intelligent guys who really love football, uh, and they're going to continue to do it. And I, I think that they're really good teammates, and I'm excited about this group. I think that this group was uh, was a, a really nice one from the mentality point. You know, can can they get on the field, though, and be able to produce with the athleticism and be able to do the things that the 49ers want to do? That's still to be, you know, still to be seen. Uh, we'll find out. 
Uh, Baltimore says we suffered on second and third and one in the fourth. Hopefully Price can bulldoze to the first downs. Yeah, you need someone that can finish. You know, and that's what we thought Jeff Wilson was there for. We thought Trey Sermon was, you know, in those situations was going to get it done. Um, but now potentially Price is going to get it done. And I think Elijah Mitchell at times is going to get it done. And that's why they're asking him to weigh 215 pounds and run with a little bit more physicality. But one thing I'm interested to see is if Ty Davis Price is really a 448 guy. Uh, can you know? Can he turn these you know fifteen and twenty yard runs into like thirty five yard runs? In uh, that could be spectacular. I, I'm not expecting anyone to be taking the you know the ball to the house, um, but I, I am excited about the potential of the Forty being able to move the chains. I mean, stack first downs on first downs on first downs, really get this thing going, and then be able to create off the play action. If they do that, um, Trey's going to have some success. Um, so let's see. Uh, Baltimore Trash says, so do you think Aubrey Thomas and Lenore are in the in the doghouse? No, I don't think they're in the doghouse. I think what they are is in, you know, in a fight, in a battle for their spots because um, the 49ers didn't sit back and say, okay, we, we drafted two guys. You know, Aubrey Thomas, you played some games for us. Lenore, you played some games for us. You're going to come in and, 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 you know, be these next guys. No, they said, you know what? Um, we're not sure you guys are, are you know, the best. You're going to have to go out there and prove it. And they didn't just do it through free agency, but they did it in the draft as well. Got a situation where the 49ers addressed it with, you know, really good veterans, including Darquez Denard. Darquez Denard did really good in Week 18 last year against the Rams. He looked good. And I think that that is something that 49ers are going to lean on a little bit, is that ability to for him to come in and understand what he's supposed to do. Um, Aubrey Thomas right now should be the fourth corner on the outside. Um, but we'll see. We'll see if Aubrey Thomas is going to be that guy. And I, I think with Samuel Womack playing on the outside at rookie camp, that's not much different than what we saw from Guillermo or Lenore. Plus, I listened to Adam Peters talk about him potentially having versatility to play inside and out, which when he was originally drafted, I thought he was going to play the nickel corner role. So him being able to have that versatility uh, is something to watch, but there's going to be an absolute fight um, to make this roster because six of these cornerbacks are going to make the team. We know who the top three are, and if they're all healthy, um, there's going to be three spots to battle between Ombre Thomas, Yamir Lenore, uh, Darquez Denard, Dante Johnson, and then the, the two young cats, you know, Tariq Castro-Fields, and uh and Womack and Samuel Womack, you know, are they gonna even make this team? Or they have to put themselves in a really good situation. So not so much the doghouses, they're gonna actually have to go in there and and, and Bobo says, I hope Ufonga turns out to be the next Palomalu. That'd be wonderful. You know what I mean? It, potentially that would be great. Uh right now I just want Hufanga to be able to cover in the secondary. If he can do that, I think his game goes to another level because he's still spectacular around the box, makes plays happen, he flashes. And I think he's going to be a playmaker, but you have to be able to cover on the back end as well. And that's something he still struggles with a little bit. There were strides. He made improvements, which you got to be happy about, uh, but there's still a long way to go for him. So I, I think that, you know, he's going to come in and compete. And if he made enough strides during the offseason to be able to start, that would be great news for the 49ers. If Al Nufong is starting because they believe he's the best player next to Jimmy Ward, that's good good news for the 49ers. Uh, Baltimore says, Gray and Ayuk will keep the safeties honest which will open up space for price. That's true. It's going to open up space for everyone. Uh, if you're able to take the top off the defense, keep those safeties from being able to run that robber like they were running last year and bringing that guy into the intermediate middle of the field to take away some of these routes, Jimmy threw a couple of picks to that uh, robber situation and robber player. You're right. That's going to open up places over the middle where Debo loves to operate, George Kittle loves to operate. So I think the 49ers definitely are looking at this as that potential. That's one of the reasons you went out and got Danny Gray is that potential to make those safeties stay honest. And if they have to stay honest, it gives you more freedom to be able to not only run the football because having seven-man boxes makes it easier to run the football, 
uh, but also to be able to get the ball in the intermediate part of the field and let these guys, great playmakers create with their legs. Uh, Forksall says, I'm pulling big time for Ombre as a huge Wolverine fan. And, and Ombre looked good last year. And for a rookie cornerback, Ombre Thomas looked good. Uh, the problem is, in the NFL, you can't just rest. They're coming after you. Every single, every single year, there's a new player that wants your spot. If Ombre Thomas is the guy, I think he is, and I, I do believe he's the guy that's going to step up in a big way. I think Ombre Thomas has a good shot to make the roster. I think he has a good shot as a third-round pick uh, from what we saw on film last year to be able to compete. Uh, I'm excited about Ombre Thomas still, but they definitely went in there and made sure this room is not going to be a problem for them. And it went from last year being a question and this year being an absolute strength. Ronnie Matoy says the 49ers should hire Frank Gore for the running back conditioning team. Um, I, I conditioning room. I think when it comes down to Frank Gore, all the conversations are always about Frank Gore coming in to coach. We know that Jed York said he can work within the front office of the San Francisco 49ers if that's something he wanted to do. Right now, he's out boxing. He's out winning boxing matches. Uh, so well done, Frank. Good job doing that. And I think if the Frank Gore wanted to be around the San Francisco 49ers organization, they would be they would love to have him. Um, but I don't know if he has you know thoughts of being a coach, being a coach, or even working in the conditioning uh, part of the of football is a, is a big undertaking. Joe Staley doesn't want that kind of commitment. Kyle Shanahan wanted him to work on his offensive staff as a coach. That's not something these guys often want to do because it's a lot that goes into it. Uh, coaches don't sleep. Coaches work consistently. So that's something that you got to remember. It's always a good situation to bring in those guys. Um, we love those guys, but them wanting to be coaches is tough, it's a tough thing. Uh, Pimer says, with it, uh, with or without boxing gloves, Ronnie, I like that. Uh, well done there. Uh, Gris says, Anthony Lynn will help DDP with his fumbling issues. He's a good coach. Yeah, that's one thing you have to do when you play for Kyle Shanahan. You can't fumble the football. Uh, Raider McLeod also has fumbling issues, so it's going to be something they're going to work on. But it could be a technique issue, and if they saw it on film, uh, that's something you know they're going to have to work on. And that's one of the things about Jordan Mason. When I watched him, uh, potentially there was some fumbling potential there, even though he wasn't fumbling as much. Uh, so it's always something that you're working on. and something that you have to consistently work on because uh, with the way that the players are using the peanut punch and coming in and, and knocking that football away, you're, you're definitely looking at you know times when the ball can be put on the ground, and that kills drives and also kills momentum. You can't have those turnovers. You can't have those situations where you turn over the football. So making sure these guys hold on the football is definitely a priority, and Anthony Lynn can, in fact, will help these running backs with that. Bobo says the key is sustaining success is good drafting development and keeping them on extensions. You're right. You, know, you have to keep drafting and developing, and then you can keep the key ones. Um, the ones that you really need to keep on your football team, you go ahead and you bring them back, and then you, you know, because of position uh, priority, depending on what system you run, you draft and develop again in other positions. So there are going to be times that Fortnite are just going to continue to let people go and draft and develop at those positions because maybe they don't have as high a position priority for them or they feel like it's easier to get players in those positions, like running back, for instance. The Fortnite can draft a running back every single year and just keep cycling through these guys if they wanted. But I think that's something that maybe the 49ers will do. Um, the running back position is the first one that I really notice. And what is up, Gary? Uh, welcome to chat. It's always good to see the 49er Fogies Gary here. And if you have a chance, go check out his channel. He does uh, shorts all the time. Um, very, very good. So if you have an opportunity, go check those out. It's a lot of fun. So uh, welcome to chat, Gary. Um, Bolivar says, Debo, are you great? Someone will be covered by a number three corner. That's exactly what you want. And the key is, right, defenses have been using their third corner a lot of times on George Kittle. Uh, they've been trying to, to cover... Kittle with corners as well. So if you have those three guys on the field with Kittle, 
what are you going to do? You know, who are, who's going to cover Kittle? Is there a safety in this league that's going to be able to body Kittle up? I'm not so sure there is. I mean, maybe Tyron Matthew, but we saw George Kittle still be able to create in that Super Bowl. So I think the 49ers have enough weapons now to be able to create some real mismatches in the way that Kyle Shanahan uses formations, formation changes through shifting and motions. He's going to be able to get good situations for these guys to be able to create problems on the back end. That's what's one of the most exciting things about adding a guy like Gray. Um, and then you throw in the fact that you still have Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings can create, get first downs, be able to create with the ball in his hands. We saw what he did against the Rams. Uh, so that's the thing. You're really liking what this wide receiver room could do, but also liking what weapons you have on offense. It's tremendous. And I think that's one of the things that's the most exciting. And Trey Lance is going to be a big, big help to this run game. And I think that run game, getting it going, is going to be something big for these receivers as well. I think him understanding you know, the offense is what has to happen first because he has to make the rhythm throws. That's what's going to keep the defense honest. He's got to make the on-schedule throws. He can't hold on to the football. That's going to help his his uh, pass blockers. But when it comes down to it, Trey Lance can definitely add to this run game, not so much by using his legs, but the fear of. And I think that's one of the things I'm most excited for is him being able to freeze linebackers, freeze edge rushers, and then be able to hit these receivers on RPOs if that's something Trey Lance can add to this offense through RPO and then add read option where he holds these guys, you can create extra big running lanes for these running backs to be able to cut through. Uh, it could be dynamic for the 49ers. And if all of a sudden you're not having, you know, these third and long situations or third and medium, which Jimmy often had to convert, you're having third and one and third and two, and these running backs are able to get these first downs on the ground. You've got to feel really confident about, you know, what this offense is going to look like and also how good this defense is going to be able to perform because they're not going to be on the field so much. Pimer says, Jennings is a beast at blocking. You're right. Jennings is an absolute beast at blocking. Finished in the top five at the wide receiver position in blocking efficiency. So this is something that we know Kyle Shanahan is going to take into account, that he he sees the value of having Jennings on the field, which means three wide receiver sets make sense for the 49ers at times getting Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and Jawan Jennings on the field is something you're also going to see. So will that mean that you also go to a fourth, four wide receiver set with George Kittle being the fifth guy, maybe a, a no back look with Debo in the backfield, motion him around. Potentially you have a lot of flexibility for your offense. And that's one of the things that Kyle Shannon has been trying to do by getting a lot of these positionless players and also adding players that have a lot of different skills in their, in their tool belt. Uh, Grish says, uh, will we miss Mike McDaniel? I, I think Mike McDaniel is going to be missed because of the way he handled the run game. Uh, he was one of the most creative guys I've seen in handling this run game and the fact that he was able to come up with a lot of cool things uh, and just the chemistry he had with Kyle Shanahan. So, yeah, of course, Mike McDaniel is going to be missed. The questions are going to be how good will Chris Forrester be at you know running this run game now. Uh, he's a run game coordinator. Now he has experience as an offensive coordinator, has experience as an offensive line coach. He should understand what Kyle Shanahan wants from the run game. Uh, so we know Kyle will be very collaborative with him, and I'm excited about the potential of what Chris Forster could do. You never know. Chris Forster could actually be a better option uh, than Mike McDaniel. I'm not I'm not foreseeing that. I'm just always saying you never know. It, it, it could happen. He might bring a different angle, a different element you know, to the way he sees the run game, and that could develop into something really great and a nice uh, collaborative uh, working relationship between him and Kyle Shanahan. Um, uh, 49er Fogey said, Gray can take the top off the defense. Yeah, he can. I mean, Gray can definitely do that. It, it's not even going to be a question. Uh, Forksall says, Baker from cards is only safety that might contain Kittle, but isn't he now coming off an injury? 
yeah, Buka Bader, uh, Buda Baker is a really good football player and a guy that, you know, it's often stood with George Kittle. Uh, but every time I think of uh, Buda Baker, I always just think of George Kittle chucking him, throwing him down and running for a touchdown. Um, but you're right. Uh, Buda has a lot of ability. He's a really good football player. And I know that George Kittle has a lot of respect for him. Um, so I think you're right. He's one of those guys that can't compete with George Kittle, but I don't believe he can stop George Kittle. He can compete with him. He maybe could slow Kittle at times, but Kittle's going to get his against Baker because Baker physically is not built uh, big enough to be able to handle the physicality that George Kittle plays with play in and play out. And that's the thing. If Kittle uses his body and uses his physicality, he can often shield and beat Buda Baker. Uh, so those are things that you can still take into account, you know, when you get these matchups. And that's still a matchup I think the 49ers would really like. If you're going to tell me they can get one-on-one matchups with Kittle on Buda Baker, I, th- I think the 49ers would take that every single day. They'd be excited about that, in fact. Uh, Forksall says 49 folks. Yeah, yeah, LOL. Um, so I think that right now what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a couple more questions. So if you have a couple more questions, go ahead and throw them in chat. And, and while you're doing that, I'm going to tell you that you need tomorrow, Cutback Colony at 5 p.m. It's going to be an exciting time. You're going to want to catch you know, that because I'm going to be getting all into the offensive line. I'm going to talk about the ins and outs of this line and what this line will look like or could look like um, in 2022 as they're trying to protect Trey Lance. They've added a lot of talent. Going to go through all the positions, talk about the players, you know, and talk about which guys you know, potentially have the best opportunities to start and where we think it's going to go from there. So join the conversation. Come in and and let me know in chat what you think about those players who you think is most likely to be one of these starters to help out uh, Trey Lance. And I think that if if that's, you know, something you're interested in, hop over there tomorrow. It's going to be a lot of fun. 5 p.m. Uh, right here on the 49ers Cutback YouTube channel where you get, you know, the content like that. And it's, it's a good time in Cutback Colony. So come check it out. Um, Lou says... The, the D-backs are improved, but if Verrett can be his old self, we will be the gold standard. He is an X-factor. You're right. If he's back to 2020 form, uh, the 49ers uh, defensive backs are the you know potentially the best in the NFC West overall. Um, so I think that is something to definitely watch, and if and that's what I want to see. Is Verrett feeling comfortable with the way that he's pushing off his leg? Is he is he feeling comfortable you know, when he reaches the, the back, back end of his drop, hitting that foot in the 45-degree angle and being able to press on the football? If he is, um, yeah, they, this is going to be an absolutely fantastic back team and group. Uh, P. Mer says, okay, which undrafted free agent makes the team call it? Um, out of the undrafted free agents, yeah, this is this is really tough, right? they got a lot of really good ones. Um, to be honest with you, if I had to say it, um, I, I think the most obvious one is Donovan West. However, I don't think he's going to make the team. And, in fact, I don't think any undrafted free agent is going to make the team. Um, I think the – the most like I, I the guy I like the most are the undrafted free agents. I like um, the safety Taylor Hawkins out of San Diego State. I like him a lot, and I like Quantrez Knight. Those are two guys that I really like. But I actually don't expect any undrafted free agents to make this roster this year. I think the def- the the team is just too um, deep at every position. They're too good, uh, so I don't expect any of them to make it. But I think the ones closest are Knight, Hawkins, and then of course uh, Donovan West. I think those are the most likely out of those guys, but. Um, I just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, for your focus, I post my guys to uh, I post the guys to my Facebook page. There you go. Thank you, Gary. Appreciate that. Uh, Fort Carl says, looking forward to the O line breakdown at uh, hashtag trenches. I love the trenches. Um, as a guy that coached offensive line for a long time, it's something that I really am passionate about, and I'm passionate about some of these new players. So it's going to be a fun conversation. I'm looking forward to you know going through all of it with you as well. Um, KDR says, do you see that pick of Brunskill looking identical to Alex Mack? I did. Uh, I saw Twitter kind of lose their mind for a minute as they're thinking, uh-oh, 
uh, Alex Mack is back. So I, I think that um, right now, and maybe Brunskill's morphing into Mack. No. Uh, I think the Brunskill's going to play right guard, but we're going to get into that tomorrow fully. But, uh, yeah, I did see that picture. That was kind of uh, Ronnie Montoya says, which undrafted free agent cuts uh, gets picked up by the Seahawks? Name it. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with, uh, Contra's Knight. That's the one I, if he gets cut, I think he ends up with Seattle as a six foot guy, um, that can play in the nickel that hits really hard from UCLA. I think that would be somebody that he Carroll would definitely, uh, want, but potentially if they cut one of the running backs, like, uh, Jordan Mason, I think I could see them going with him as well as a, a big physical guy. Um, so that would be somebody as well. Uh, Gris says, what do you think of the undrafted wide receiver of Pittsburgh? Uh, looks really smooth. They have some really good, you know, smooth guys that, you know, from the wide receiver room um, that they brought in. And I think there's some good ones. And one of the ones that look good that I want to talk about, and it's not the Pittsburgh one, um, even though he did look, Tay looks good. Um, it's wide receiver Kiki Chisholm, who they brought in from Missouri, six foot five. Um, I was watching some of his, um, some of his drills and the way that he was able, you know, to kind of get off on press releases. And I thought he looked good, but I love the six foot five, 220 pound frame. I think that's something the 49ers often need on their team. Uh, is a big physical guy, but I think these wide receivers that are in there right now, besides Danny Gray, all the ones that came to rookie minicamp, I don't think any of them are going to be impact players for the 49ers. I think they're 90-man guys, and I don't expect any of them. Um, so there you go. J.S. Stewart says it all starts in the trenches. It's that's it. Uh, if you can win in the if you can win in the trenches, then you can win football games uh, offensively and defensively. And I'm going to let it I'm going to let it in with that because um, that is 100% accurate coming. From Coming from Jan, and I'm going to throw this to Jan. You're not wrong, guy. Uh, but that this was an exciting time. I had a really good time interacting with all of you. I I can't wait for a cutback colony tomorrow. I can't wait for the Q and A uh, news update and Q and A on Thursday. That's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure you guys hop through, and who knows, maybe I'll have something special to announce tomorrow. Uh, there could be something uh, coming that's in the works. So I'm excited about everything that's going on. I'm excited about this chat. You guys were fantastic. I had a really fun time and a great conversation. I'm looking forward to more in the future. You guys have a great one. I'm out. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.